Good morning. Happy Easter. Glad you're here. We are celebrating some really good news today. Jesus was crucified and buried, but rose from the dead so that we, we could have new life. He, he proved in this his power to bring eternal life to everybody who believes in him. Life's a mixture of good news and bad news. Um, that's the really good news Easter is. Some bad news that precedes that good news is that the world we live in is less than ideal. It's really not the ideal place to live anymore. It started out that way. When it began, it was paradise, all, like an all-inclusive resort, except you worked, you know, you, you did work, and, and uh, it was meaningful work, and, you, you know, it, it was enjoyed. But those days are gone, paradise. They're gone for now. They're coming back, but they're gone for now. Right now, we live with a disconnect between the way life is and the way we know life should be. There's this disconnect. It shows up in our family relationships and in our friendships. People hurt each other. Trust is broken. People disappoint us. We're betrayed. We're abused. People put us down with their words. They disrespect us. And, and the hurt goes deep. It, it's, it's daily. And sometimes it goes, goes very deep. When we get hurt and feel wronged by other people, we have a deep sense of the wrongness of the wrong because, uh, we have a longing for that paradise. We, we have a longing for things to be the way they should. God put that in our hearts. We, we want things to be right. We want it to be the way it should be, and it's painful when it's not the way it should be. And if we dwell on the wrong that's been done to us, or even the wrong that's we've done to others, if we dwell on that, the pain magnifies. It just gets greater and greater. So um, we have to learn to deal with that. And it's Easter. It's a celebration. But I want to start there so that we can get to the really good news and begin to experience it. Some painful memories are like a movie scene that's sewn into the, our brains. And it keeps, it keeps looping over and over and over again. And we have to figure out, how are we going to deal with that? What are we going to do? I'd like you to watch this clip from the movie Click, which is sort of a whimsical look at what, what would it be like if you had a remote for your life? And you could just rewind and redo some things. I, I would personally like to have a delete button. You know, oh, did I say that? Oh, no. You know, did I do that? Oh, delete. No. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? But here's, here's a look at this. This is, this is one kind of scene that might play in our mind over and over again. The main character is dealing with the pain of regret, and you see the, the people, the other people he's related to, de- dealing with the pain that he's inflicted on them by the wrong he's done. So let's watch this scene together. Come on. Come on. 
It won't take you there. Take me where? To the moment he died. You weren't there. Of course I wasn't. Can you take me to the last time I saw him, please? Hey, Dad. Sorry to uh, bug you. Would you mind looking at my, uh, my shopping mall design again? This one is cheaper. But if you check this out, you'll see it has Whoa. a much better natural flow. Cheaper one. one. Like I said, uh, just let me do my email. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Dad. Um, he ain't right. You're a schmuck. Better. Look at it. Surprise. Hey, Grandpa. Oh, my God. When did you get so handsome? So, Michael, I had a wonderful idea. Your mother's playing canasta with her friends tonight. I thought, oh, what a great opportunity. You, me, and Ben should go and have a boys' night out. Can't. What do you mean you can't? You have to eat sometime. We could go. We could whistle at pretty girls. <laughs> I'm down for that. See, he's down. I don't know what it means, but he's down. <laughs> hey. Please, don't give me that finger. I'll make you a deal. If you come, I'll show you the quarter trick. Will you look at the man? I'll tell you the secret. No, Dad. Don't you want to know how you do the stupid trick? I've always known. Can you let me do my work? Too I'll miss you. You know that. Goodbye. I don't know about you. I've got I've got some similar scenes that tend to play in my mind. That they well up and they're there. And I've got to figure out what to do with them. Painful regret. You know, you can see Sandler's ashamed of himself, calls himself some names. <laughs> just, just regret. Painful memories, the hurt. You can see the hurt on his, his father's face, the granddad in the scene. When that scene plays over and over again in our mind, we have got to figure out how am I going to deal with that painful memory? How am I going to handle that? Here's the good news. 
The good news of Easter is that God has made a way for us to deal with the pain of regret and the pain of the wrong that we've done in the midst of a less than ideal world. He's, he's given us everything we need to deal with the pain and make relationships good. The fact is, we hurt others, others hurt us, so there's a gap. We have to address the gap if we're going to deal with the pain. What is that gap? The gap shows up when someone hurts us and does us wrong. If I do you wrong, there becomes a gap between us. If you do me wrong, there's a gap. It's the difference between my ideal solution for the wrong that's been done to me and the current status of things as I now see it. So there's this gap. Everett Worthington calls it the injustice gap. Because when somebody does me wrong, or somebody does wrong in general even, we want justice. There's something built into us. We're made in the image of God and we reflect His image. We want justice. We want consequences for the wrong that's done. We want people to pay. That's, that's built in. And when it goes wrong, it can really bad, be bad, that justice motive. But he's made us this way. And so there's this injustice gap. The injustice gap is the ongoing tally that we keep that informs us how fair or unfair the outcomes surrounding a transgression are, an offense, a hurt. So what we do is we keep score, and we assign a certain amount of um, distance that's tied to the wrong that's been done to us, and certain amount of justice that would cover that. And it's usually very arbitrary and subjective. But anyway, that's that's the injustice gap. When someone hurts or wrong us, wrongs us, we're motivated to bring about justice to make the wrong right. In the world, we experience injustice, and we do injustice on, on a regular basis. And since this is the case, this is a problem in relationships that we experience, this injustice gap. Wrongs and offenses occur on a regular basis for which people do not pay. So here, here's, a, here's a picture of what's going on. After I'm wronged, I want them, the person who wronged me, I want them to pay. And this creates the gap. It's just not right for someone to wrong me and get away with it. So there should be consequences or justice that's done. And many times we take matters into our own hands, and if it's, you know, in small ways, uh, we try to make them pay. In ongoing relationships, this tends to be what we do. We give, we give cold shoulder, we harsh, harsh words, make cutting remark. Uh, if you're in the office and, you know, somebody ticks you off in the office and they need your help on a project, what, one way we can, you know, sort of do justice is we can just pull back a little bit, not work as hard, so that they don't really reach their goal, and they pay. So we, we have this way when wrongs are done, we have this way of sort of taking justice into our own hands in those small ways. In more serious matters, uh, we root for others to pay in the courts or 
in a disciplinary action of some kind when it's out of our hands, when it's beyond us. We're just kind of, we're hoping justice can be done. But here's an example of how this plays out in our relationships. You're at lunch with a friend. You want to have a good time. You want to enjoy one another. But your friend says something that insults you. It hurts you. It cuts you. Maybe they didn't even mean to. And then they realize what they said and they apologize. That's a kind of suffering. An apology is a kind of suffering because it's humiliating. Nobody likes to admit they're wrong. And after they suffer a little bit through the apology, the gap gets smaller, but it doesn't disappear. The comment, however, that they made is more painful than they realize, and you don't think they were sorry enough. So the the gap doesn't completely close, but it gets a little smaller. They didn't suffer enough, so it's still there. The next time you're together, you have lunch again, let's say, you still fill the gap. They weren't quite sorry enough. They didn't show enough remorse for what they said. And so you, either consciously or unconsciously, who knows, um, you make them pay for what they did by making a cutting remark. could be offhanded. It could have just blurted out. It could have just shown up in the conversation. Or you, you could have saw your opening and, you know, gone for it. Now they have an injustice gap. Because they thought they got that straightened out. They thought they apologized. But you didn't, you didn't give them a break. You didn't close the gap. Because they weren't sorry enough. They didn't show enough remorse. So the gap remains. And now, what happens in their mind? There's a gap on their end. Because they thought that you have wronged them. You, you've messed with them now. And so in ongoing relationships, both sides tend to have an injustice gap that that is created by hurts and wrongs that we do to each other. People are human. We're willing to hurt other people to get what we want. If we want respect and somebody's not showing showing us respect, we're going to say something that shows what we deserve. Might hurt them. Might be harsh. If 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 we're not getting the cooperation that we want, we're not beyond making people pay for not cooperating. Here's the problem. This gap exists. What are we going to do with it? I, I feel the pain that you cause me more than the pain I cause. It's the way we are, for the most part. Every once in a while we get a glimpse of the pain that we're causing. It's very painful regret, like on the movie scene. But I, I tend to feel the hurt that you cause me more than the hurt I've caused. And so we build this self-protective layer around and the gap exists. The normal thing to do in human relationships is to keep retaliating back and forth. And so we get into this vicious cycle And some of us are pretty sophisticated. It may not be that overt. It could be pretty passive. But we get into this vicious cycle of making people pay. It goes on. To break the cycle, what has to happen? Someone has to step into the gap and absorb the pain. That's, That's the only way to deal with the gap. 
If I absorb the pain and forgive, the gap disappears. That's the only way to deal with it. That's not easy. Some cuts are very deep. And we need help if we're going to heal from those wounds. We need help. It's, we need supernatural help. This is, it's not normal to just let it go. It's not normal to work through the pain in the right way. The good news is that God has made a way for us to deal with the pain. He loves us too much to watch us suffer like this and not step into our world to give us the help that we need. Here's the way that God has created or made for us to deal with the gap. Forgiveness. God forgives and he invites us to start forgiving with him. It's what he does. Relationships thrive when we keep closing the gap. It's the only way they continue and remain enjoyable. We have to address the gap. We have to know it's there, identify the wrong, not ignore it. Identify the wrong and then offer the forgiveness that's needed to close the gap. This is the way we keep closing the gap. We forgive. We forgive our family members, our husbands, our wives, our parents, our children. Uh, for children need to forgive, yeah, brothers and sisters, friends, co-workers, ministry leaders and teammates. It's part of being human is we, we hurt each other. We do. There is nothing more central to the Christian life than forgiving. It's right at the core. Right at the heart of it. The Bible says even that we've hurt and wronged God. Our sin grieves him. That's what the Bible says consistently is our sin grieves the heart of God. Grief is a very deep kind of hurt. It's a deep loss that we feel. But since God loves us so much, Jesus closed the gap for us once and for all. First Timothy 2. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. He gave himself. He absorbed the pain for us. The price that was on us for the sin that we had committed against God, he took on himself. When we get hurt, there's a sense that the person who hurt us, they owe us. They're indebted to us. When someone wrongs us, what do we say? They owe us an apology. They owe it to us. This is a debt. And that's the picture that you get in the Bible of wrong, of sin. It creates a debt. It creates a debt between ourselves and God and between ourselves and other people. Um, the boss owes us some recognition. Our wife owes us respect. Our husband owes us some consideration. This is the way, this is the way it is. And, and that, that's really, there's a truth to this. In the same way, since we have wronged God, we owe God. He gave us life. And it's only right that when there's a maker involved in something that 
the thing that's made, whatever is made, does what the maker made it to do. We were made to live in a way that reflects what God wants in the world, and we haven't. So we have wronged him. We owe God for our very life. He gave it to us, and now we owe him because we didn't do with it what he wanted. We went rogue on him. We went. We decided to go independent and live life on our own. This brings spiritual death. This, that's what scripture says. It cuts us off from knowing God personally and we die spiritually. There's a gap. All, that means that there's a gap between ourselves and God. And God gives us the choice of whether or not we accept his forgiveness that he's brought in Jesus Christ. And if we choose not to, we'll continue on through eternity separated from him in a place called hell. It just if we choose, he'll let us, he'll honor our choice. But if we decide to accept who he is into our life, the gap is closed. The debt is forgiven. Jesus paid the price. He was the ransom for us. So the gap would disappear between ourselves and God. First Peter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus stepped into the gap and he absorbed the pain so that we could be reconciled with God. Anyone who admits their sin, believes in Jesus Christ, and commits to follow him as Lord receives the forgiveness and healing. And the healing starts working its way into our lives. The debt is canceled. That's, that's a really good news. Jesus has done everything we needed to close the gap between ourselves and God. And Jesus has proven that he has the authority to forgive. There's a great story in Mark 2. Um, part of, it's a scene from Jesus' life. Uh, he had no, by the way, he had no, no need to rewind or delete or anything. He lived a perfect life. But he's, he's teaching a crowd of people. He's at a house and a crowd gathers. He's becoming real popular. And this crowd gathers and... A paralytic man, a man who was paralyzed, had four friends who decided they're going to carry him on the mat that he uses to cushion his body from the ground since he can't walk. Uh, they're going to carry him on his mat to Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. They get to the house. It's so crowded. They can't get in the front door. They can't hardly even move. And so they decide, I love this, it's great. They decide to dig a hole through the roof and lower him in so Jesus can heal him. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark 2. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Interesting, isn't it? He came for healing, but Jesus decides to forgive him, to pronounce forgiveness over him. Some of the scribes were sitting there, the religious leaders of his day, questioning in their hearts. And you know how it is when you're in a room and people are talking about you, and you can see the looks on their face. Who does this person think they are? You, you know what's going on. You can tell what well, Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus could tell that they were asking these questions. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning him like this, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Really? To say your sins are forgiven and to actually 
pull that off is much harder, <laughs> much more difficult. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. You ever see anything like that? I've never seen anything like that. That's amazing to see that happen. Jesus proved his authority to forgive by healing the man in the presence of his doubters, in the presence of the skeptics. But we weren't there, were we? I wasn't there. I didn't see that. How can we know that Jesus has the authority to forgive our sin? How do, how do we know this? How can we verify this? Well, we're celebrating Easter today. We're celebrating the resurrection. It's a historical event that you can, you can go back and look at all the evidence and you can weigh the evidence like you're in a courtroom and determine whether Jesus really is who he said he is. You, you can investigate. In fact, this is the proof that he has the authority to forgive. The entire Christian faith is built on the resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if he didn't raise from the dead, there is no reason to try even try to be good. Forget it. There's no reason to even try to live the Christian life if he hasn't been raised. This is the, the cornerstone of our faith. For as the Son of Man, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This, this is our hope. We can go back. Jesus stepped into the real world to do what it takes to ransom us, to buy us back, to pay the price that was owed for our sin. And he died to give us the opportunity to get back on track, to get things back on track. You can examine the evidence for yourself. We have a book. If you're, if you're a guest today, if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, we have a book on the little taller table through the double doors to the left. It's called The Case for Christ. And a man named Lee Strobel was an atheist. His, his wife started going to church. That scared him. Like, oh, no, you know, what's going to happen now? She's, she's going to church. Well, he, he was an atheist. He didn't believe in, in God. Maybe an agnostic. I can't remember. But anyway, he, he wasn't really a believer. And he began to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ on things like the resurrection. He began to investigate the miracles. Were they possible? Could it really have happened? Did they happen? What's the evidence one way or the other? The story like this paralytic being healed. How do you go back and investigate? Anyway, he went on a journey and he ended up deciding to follow Christ. He became convinced Jesus really is who he is. You, you can get answers to your questions. You really can. Another guy did the same thing in the early 1900s. Frank Morrison, atheist set out to disprove Christianity, ended up being convinced and wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? Same thing with a guy named Josh McDowell in the 60s. Atheist, didn't believe, set out to disprove Christianity, became convinced, wrote two volumes proving or laying out the evidence that shows the verdict goes for Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. So you, you can get the answers. Jesus proved his authority to forgive, and 
as he lived, he reveals the heart of God to us. So if we want to follow him, he shows us what it means to follow him in the way we handle our relationships. Look at Matthew 9. This is, this is actually a story that followed the, the paralytic being healed. It, this is something that happened right after that. And uh, the Pharisees saw him at a party with some tax collectors and sinners. They didn't consider themselves sinners. They were very religious. They did all the right religious stuff, and they tended to look down on people who weren't religious, and tax collectors weren't religious. They were cheats for the most part, charging as much money as they could to make as much money as possible. And um, sinners, just people they considered scum. And Jesus was at a party with them. And so they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard it, Jesus heard this. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is, this is God speaking in, in the Old Testament scriptures. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Look at that phrase. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. If we're doing all the religious stuff and we're not growing in mercy, we're missing the point by a mile and more. In other words, a forgiving spirit is something that's going to grow in you if you decide to follow Jesus. Not a self-righteous, critical attitude toward others. God favors mercy. This is what he wants. It's at the top of his list of values, things that are important to him, close to his heart. He wants us to learn to show mercy and to forgive. This doesn't mean that we ignore the wrong that's been done to us. And it doesn't mean that we let people walk all over us. Sometimes we have to draw boundaries and uh, protect ourselves in different ways. And, and it's important to pursue justice as well. But God loves mercy. He knows the perfect balance between justice and mercy. He has a unique vantage point. He knows. He can see. He knows the balance. We don't have that that same vantage point. So if you're going to make a mistake, make it on the side of mercy. God loves it. God's mercy was costly, was extravagant, very expensive. His son, Jesus Christ, had to die on a cross so that justice and mercy could meet and the gap would close. God forgives he, he releases us from the debt. If we're going to err, err on the side of mercy. If we claim to walk with Christ and we aren't growing in mercy, we, we miss the heart of God. We missed who he is. Because Jesus commands his followers to close the gap with others. If you're a follower of Christ, he expects you to be a forgiver. He, he not only expects it, he demands it. He commands it and demands it. 
if you want to be right with him, if you want to walk in fellowship with Jesus, you, you have to forgive. There is no, this is not an option. It is not. We resist forgiving others because we have the wrong idea about it. We think forgiveness is for the one who has hurt us. We think it's for the offender, for the transgressor. But forgiveness is really for the benefit of the one who's been hurt. Forgiveness is for the offendee, not the offender. And so Jesus makes no qualms about this, no bones about it. You have got to be forgiving. Look at the model prayer when his disciples asked how to pray. Starts out like this. He says, pray then like this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And then, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on and says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our our debtors. And then he makes a commentary after the prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, there is no way you can miss his point. No way. It's very clear. If you don't forgive, you have a problem with me. I'm going to take that up with you. If you're, if you're following me, you have to forgive. God demands that we forgive others because refusing to forgive is like hitting the self-destruct button in our lives. It's going to blow you up. Unforgiveness creates a boatload of health issues, emotional and physical, sleeplessness, isolation, high blood pressure, unhappiness, and depression, to name a few. Studies have been done on this. It's really a, a, that's, that's the source of a lot of the things we struggle with. Wouldn't it be great if you could go to the doctor and you've got high blood pressure and he says, you know, here, here's the diagnosis, bitterness. You're bitter. I'm going to prescribe forgiveness. If you'll, if you'll just forgive, then it'll be all right. You know, it's going to go way down. It'll work. I'm telling you. He can't do that because God wants us to wrestle with this stuff so that we'll grow in our understanding of him and his ways and in our character. It's just the way it is. There's a quote, and it's anonymous because I'm not quite sure. You can't figure out who, who said it, but bitterness is, like, uh, dr- bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's exactly how it is. It's like drinking the Kool-Aid and waiting for someone else to die. God, God is just like any good father. You know the, where that prayer started? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's just like any good father. He wants the best. And so he demands that we forgive. Not an option. It's for our benefit. It's for our good. Look at his command. In Luke 6, judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will not be, and you will be forgiven. This is very clear. What you dish out, you're going to be eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You dish out judgment, condemnation, unforgiveness, that's what you're going to be eating. You dish out kindness, compassion, humility, 
and forgiveness, that's what you're going to experience. It's the way it works. Jesus commands us to be forgiving people, and we must follow his example. No option. If you're going to follow Christ, this is what it means, and it's really good for you. Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what it means to forgive, and we're going to try to discover how God helps us to do that. He really does. It's a supernatural thing. To forgive is supernatural. There are two components of forgiveness. There's the decisional component and the emotional component. Before God, this is the the decision. Before God, I forgive this person for what they've done. We have to decide to forgive. And we can do that with his help. Practically, what that means is you surrender your right to make them pay. You close the gap. I'm not going to make them pay. I'm not going to try to get even with them. I'm not going to use this hurt, this wrong that they've done to me against them. If you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart today, you can forgive that person. You can choose it. And then there's a second component, emotional forgiveness. I wrestle in my heart until I experience the forgiveness emotionally. Now this takes, this takes time. We get the two confused. We have to understand how this works. I can make the decision to forgive, but I may not experience it emotionally. In other words, the pain, the memories are going to keep coming up, and we've got to learn what to do with those. We've got to learn how to handle those painful memories and what to do when they start welling up and looping in our minds. How do we do that? We're going to look at that. But emotional forgiveness is something you experience only after you've decided to forgive. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at how to experience forgiveness. We're going to look at what the Bible says about deciding to forgive more and then the process of working toward emotional forgiveness and finding yourself in the place where there can be reconciliation with people in your life that you've hurt or that that have hurt you. This is the best thing you can do. Forgiving those who hurt you is for your benefit, not for theirs. I read a story this week, and I want to wrap up the message with the story. It's a great example of what it looks like to forgive emotionally, completely arrive at emotional forgiveness. So this is our goal. Keep this in mind. This is, this is where we're headed. This is a great example of where we're headed. Seminary prof was uh, teaching a very large class, and he noticed a beautiful woman sitting near the front of the class. And my impression from the way he wrote is she was striking. He wrote it like a seminary guy, you know, like a theologian. But uh, she was strikingly beautiful. And so he noticed that about her. Uh, But when she got up to leave the classroom that first day, he also noticed that she was very handicapped. And it went, it was several weeks before he had an opportunity to talk with her, but he finally met her. And he asked her to tell him her story. Well, it turns out that she had been an actress living in Beverly Hills the wife of a star, not a superstar, but a star. And, and while living there, she had been struck down by a hit-and-run driver. She ended up in the hospital. Uh, 
took her a while to recover. When she recovered and came home, her husband left her. That's horrible. That is really despicable. Talk about hurt. Talk about injustice. Right when you need your husband, he leaves. So he he left her. This all happened about five years before the conversation took place with the professor. So he asked her, have you forgiven him? Have you forgiven your husband? She said, I I think so. I think I have. What makes you think so? He asked. She replied, I find myself wishing him well. That's forgiveness. That is supernatural. That is not normal. That is a great picture of the grace of God. Because here we are, we've been made by God. It's only right that we give him our life, but we haven't. We took it into our own hands. We've lived a life independent of him. And so now we have a double debt. He made us, and now we owe him because we've gone our own way. God wishes you and I well. He wants life to go good. He wants us to enjoy it, so he demands forgiveness. It's not optional. We, we have to work through this. If we're going to walk with God, if we're going to know him, if we're going to connect with him and experience the joy of the gap being closed, we have to forgive. That's supernatural. We need God's help, and he wants to help. Jesus' resurrection has proven that he has the power to help us. He has the authority to forgive himself and the power to help us with the forgiving process. Will you let him do it? That's the question. Will you let him help you? I'd like to wrap up the message today by helping you think through some next steps, if you would. Um, if, you, if you pull out your communi- connection card, uh, if you grab that, it's in the program, maybe still or maybe not, but if you pull that out and look over it, I'd like you to take the time to finish any information or next steps that I'm suggesting on this card. And today, Easter's a milestone. It's a milestone in the Christian faith. It's one of the things we look back to. And so I'd like you to maybe uh, use this as an opportunity to mark, as a marker of where you're at in your relationship with God. So I want to give you a spiritual survey this morning. That's the first step listed on my next step. Um, spiritual survey. Circle one of those letters that represents where you're at with the Lord and put it in the offering, just sort of, this is where I'm at. And you might put it in and ask God to just encourage you and help you grow to the next step from here. But A, circle A if you're already a believer. You've already decided to follow Christ. You're following him. Circle B, if you're believing today, maybe as I've spoken, God's got a hold of your heart, and you've decided to follow Christ today. We'd love to help you with that. If you circle that, we'll send you some helpful materials. We won't bother you or chase you down or anything like that, but we'll just try to help it at however you want our help. But B, circle that if you're believing today. We'd love to help you begin to get traction and knowing what it means to walk with the Lord. C, circle C if you're considering what it means to follow Christ, and if you're investigating what it means to follow him. You're welcome here, by the way. We have a lot of people 
that, that are probably C's. We have several people that are considering what it means. And then D, I don't think I'll ever believe. But take a moment to do a survey. Use this Easter as sort of a milestone, a marker of where you're at. A, already a believer. B, believing today. C, considering. D, I don't think I'll ever believe. Another step would be to come back for the whole series on forgiveness, the whole message series, so you could, you could begin to work through the process of forgiveness and develop uh, some growth in that area of need. Another step, I'm deciding to forgive someone who, who's hurt me today. Maybe as I've been talking, someone's come to mind that has hurt you, that you, you are struggling with forgiveness over. Decide to do that. I'm deciding to let it go. And then ask God to help you supernaturally overcome. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we're really glad you're here. And we have a gift for you. It's called the Case for Faith. I mentioned it earlier. It's on the table uh, outside the double doors. If if you're investigating what it, whether Christ is real or not, if he has the power and authority to forgive, pick that book up. I think it'll be a real help to you. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love and wanting the best for our lives. I pray that you give us the help we need to work through unforgiveness, bitterness, to release those things that are keeping us from experiencing the life that you want us to have. God, thank you for being a good father who really cares, who made it possible for us to close the gap between ourselves and you. And give you give us the power to forgive. Thank you for what you've done. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.